God in Christ has chosen us, every last one of us, to be his disciples, his followers, his fishers of folk. And God has not chosen us because we are the smartest, or the prettiest, or the richest, or the most popular, or the most likely to succeed. That's Bishop Kevin Strickland. And today he brings you a life-giving message of faith called Fishing in Unusual Places, Finding Faithful Fish. I'm Peter Wallace. It's day one. Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's historic Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. Now to introduce this week's preacher, here's our host, Peter Wallace. Thank you, Sherry. Today on Day One, we're honored to have with us Bishop Kevin L. Strickland, Bishop of the Southeastern Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia. Before his election as bishop in June 2019, Kevin served as the assistant to the presiding bishop and executive for worship of the ELCA. He served in the churchwide office since August 2014. Kevin is a graduate of Newberry College in Newberry, South Carolina, and earned his Master of Divinity from Lutheran Theological Southern Seminary in Columbia, South Carolina. Earlier, he served as pastor of churches in Nashville and Maryville, Tennessee, and ministered in youth and family roles in several churches in South Carolina. Kevin, welcome to Day One. Thank you, Peter. It's great to be here again. You last preached on Day One in 2020 as part of our 75th anniversary series, and much has happened since then. First of all, give us your elevator speech about the Southeastern Synod. I wish we had more than an elevator to talk about the (laughs) Southeastern Synod, but uh, we span Georgia, Mississippi, Tennessee, and Alabama. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are the second largest geographic territory of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, where there are about 160 congregations. Mm. Um, We have campus ministry settings, as well as some chaplains that serve in prisons and hospital roles. Most of our parishes are located in Georgia and Tennessee, but uh, the thing I would say mostly about the Senate is I'm proud of the work that we have done even in the midst of this pandemic, mm. um, and specifically around diversity and justice issues. Mm-hmm. And you've served as bishop for well over three years now, and much has changed in the landscape of our country and the church with the pandemic, as you just mentioned. How has your work as bishop evolved during this time, and how are you seeing your churches adapt to this new reality? Well, I think not just uh, our churches, but churches across uh, the world have had to relearn what it means to be the church. Mm. Um, And I think what COVID did for us in many ways, in a positive way, allowed us the opportunity to ask the question, what's the best role the church can be Mm. in the lives of all people? I think it helped us see ourselves not just the Sunday morning experience, but uh, bringing faith and formation back to everyday life. So Mm -hmm. I've been really proud of our uh, congregations and pastors and other leaders during this time because they've not only had to be resilient, they've Mm -hmm. had to show a whole lot of uh, fortitude. And, um, you know, I I really shy from the word relevancy, but I think that they've helped to to find new ways to be relevant in Mm -hmm. a culture that often wonders if church is still relevant. 
And I think what COVID has done is provided the opportunity to say to people that the church has its relevancy most in who we know God to be in the person of Jesus, Mm -hmm. who shows up when we become that person in the things we do to and for one another. Um, And so even our smallest rural congregations have really done well in this pandemic with learning what it means to have live stream or Facebook or uh, those types of capabilities that I don't think prior to this pandemic, they would have even given themselves permission Mm -hmm. uh, to do this. And they've seen that as an evangelism tool. Mm. And some have said that the pandemic only hastened and exacerbated the issues the church has been facing for a long time, such as declining memberships, loss of a voice in the public square, and so forth. How are you dealing with these issues, and how do you think congregations might be revitalized? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think part of the way we've been dealing with those issues, and you listed off of a multitude of them. (laughs) Um, But I think we've been dealing with a lot of that by uh, offering grants to congregations during COVID. Uh, So in addition to congregations who received the PPP loans from the federal government, we have uh, offered uh, grants as well to help subsidize ministries, um, but specifically so that congregations can adapt Mm -hmm. and be agile and flexible and uh, that COVID wouldn't be the reason, or in some cases, maybe even the excuse to not do ministry. I think the church is the church at its best when we worry less about how many people are showing up, mm. and more importantly, about how the church is showing forth in the world uh, for all those who maybe have never been told that there is a place for them within mm. the church. I think this has also given us the opportunity to look at what it means to be God's people in a fairly faithful way of saying that the church needs to be way less about how many people are showing up with membership, how much money we are are lacking, uh, and more about giving people thanks for how they're living out their vocations in their daily lives. Mm. So when I've seen the church do that well in this pandemic, it's giving thanks for the fact that nurses and doctors and first responders and those on the front lines, even in the grocery stores, checking people out at a time where it was just unsafe for their own health. Mm-hmm. Whether they knew it or not, that was their vocational call to be God's people in a time and a space that they were the church. Yeah. And I think if we can connect those dots and stop seeing church as just the building that people might occupy for an hour a week, I think that not only will help our growth but I think it will help our mentality of what it means to be the active breathing organism instead of just the organization. Mm. Mm-hmm. Your synod strategic vision for 2021 focused on diversity and justice, and for 2022, it's evangelism. And in your sermon today, you focus on evangelism, finding faithful fish. How did you approach these important issues for the church? When I was elected in 2019, the Southeastern Synod did not have a long-range plan or a strategic Mm. vision and had not had one for quite a while. And uh, so I worked with our leadership and our council to develop uh, what are major issues and hopeful dreams over the next six years as bishop that we Mm. could do together. And so then we started thinking about what, where the church needed to be, but also where the church already was. Mm. And then what were our hopes and dreams of these four states that are in the Deep South uh, with an evangelical witness? And so diversity and justice, which includes four uh, areas, disabilities, justice, gender, inclusivity, uh, LGBTQA, and uh, we also focus on uh, making sure that 
that we work on the the uh, justice for all persons. We did that in 2021 as a major goal, and what I challenged the Senate was instead of having 12 major goals for the one year, let's just have one uh. that all committees, all task forces, all congregations focus on, knowing that our work won't be done, mm-hmm. but it will carry over to the following years. We've done Zoom uh, events, webinars. We've had professors and teachers and such uh, who have led wonderful events for us during COVID. And we've had hundreds of people show up. We've also been committed to making sure in this region of the church that our pastors and deacons uh, are mandated to go through boundary training, Mm -hmm. which includes gender justice training, basic boundary training, but also diversity, justice, and inclusion training. That has been a really pivotal shift for us, Mm -hmm. and it's also allowed us to, I think, um, put our time and our money and our energy where our mouths are as church. We chose evangelism for 2022 mainly because I think more often than not, the church, at least I can speak for my brand of church, the ELCA, uh, we tend to be the best kept secret even from ourselves. Yes. And our title is evangelical, (laughs) and yet so often that title can be co-opted and used in a very unfriendly way. Mm -hmm. And so I challenged our Senate to say, what does it mean for us to keep that name be challenged by that name, but to look at what the name means, that means to give the gospel free course in the world. Mm. It means to make sure that we are the evangelical witness of good news, not our news, but God's news. And I think in order to do that, uh, we can't continue the mentality of if we build it, they will come. Mm-hmm. But to share our story, which is God's story, with other people's story, and realize we have far more in common than we do that separates us. Mm-hmm. And so then the next year will be formation, uh, which will tie in these other two themes. And then our hope is that we just continue on with involving more people and getting uh, the name of who we are as Christians in this way out. And more importantly, at the end of the day, that people know that God loves them, no matter what tradition they come from mm-hmm. or if they even come from one. All right. Well, today the church observes the third Sunday after Epiphany, and your sermon is based on the gospel text from Matthew chapter 4. Would you read it for us? The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the fourth chapter. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. Immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with her father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout all of Galilee, 
teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, Kevin, here we are in the early days of Jesus's ministry, and he calls this motley crew of followers to become fishers. What stood out for you in this text as you prepared your sermon? Yeah, I think for me the most uh, stunning thing was, and I've preached on this text countless times, Mm -hmm. but what caught me this time was that they left all they knew, Hmm. all they had, for someone that, at least from what we can tell, they knew very little about. And they asked no questions, Hmm. uh, which I thought was stunning given the fact that throughout all four Gospels, the disciples are always asking (laughs) questions. But I thought about that as, you know, we often refer to it as a a blind faith. I don't think that's what this is. Mm. I think this is seeing that the kingdom of God had really come near, come so near that it came on the shore and looked them in the face and called them by name. Mm. Um, And for me, that was was a a revelation that I've never had with this text before. So when it says that repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near, which is what Jesus's work was all through Matthew's gospel, and to know that he's challenging these other folks to come with him and share that good news, that even the repentance could be good news, Mm. and to know that, that the kingdom had come so near that they didn't have to look for what would be, it was right before their eyes. Wow. And so I think often how we're always trying to look for where God will be or the hopeful promises of where God can be, and yet we often miss the fact that the kingdom of heaven really is right here. Mm. And it could show up in the smallest of things or in the most unlikely of characters like fishers casting nets into a sea, doing what they've always done because it's all they knew they ever could do. Mm. And so for me as as a bishop, as a pastor, but more importantly, as a person and child of God, what does it look like for us as church to truly challenge ourselves not to see the church as the far off, not to see the kingdom of heaven as the far off, but to see that God really is active in the world right here, right now, all around us, and that we ought to share that with one another. Well, Kevin, your message is titled, Fishing in Unusual Places, Finding Faithful Fish. Thank you for sharing it with us. Thank you, Peter, and thank you to Day One. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I remember as a small child, waking up super early, in the darkness, jumping in my dad's truck with his boat in tow. We always stopped at the same gas station because you could buy a fried egg and bologna sandwich, all at the same time of picking up your container of worms and other supplies for the day's catch. We would get in my dad's boat and go a little way off the shore. He would always tell me to be really quiet because I didn't want to scare the fish. Little did he know, I was more afraid to be out there than the fish. 
My least favorite part of the fishing trip was having to put the worm on the hook. I just hated the thought of having to touch that slimy thing and kill it. Then we would wait and wait and wait and not a single bite. I caught more tree limbs on that fishing trip than I did fish. I learned that day that fishing is not my thing. There is a lot of preparation, waiting and disappointment in fishing. I also learned years later in reflecting about that day that it really wasn't about what I was catching. It was about me being caught in time with my dad. That was one of those rare moments where being with him was more important than what we were doing. And maybe that is why those fisher folk from long ago left their nets to follow Jesus and try fishing for something different. Who knows? But they did. No questions asked. I've always been struck by that tidbit. The fact that these vocationally focused fisher folk left their livelihoods and just followed Jesus never asked a question. Maybe it's because they spent the rest of their time with Jesus doing nothing but asking questions. Jesus didn't seem to worry about any of it. When he said, follow me, he apparently wasn't concerned that these followers might not turn out to be model disciples. Indeed, they were often dense and hard to teach, and on the rare occasions when they did understand him, they would usually try to talk him out of his ideas. They squabbled about who was the greatest. One of them betrayed him. And no one stuck around when the going got tough. Jesus simply said, Follow me. And something in the way he said it pointed to God so clearly that two, then four, then twelve decided that whatever Jesus had to offer was worth leaving their old lives for. And as far as Jesus was concerned, their willingness to get up and follow was credentials enough. He would make his community out of this diverse, contentious dozen. Of course, Jesus had to live with this makeshift community of disciples for only three years. And whenever they wandered off course, He was right there to set them straight. The real problems began when he was gone and they had to make decisions for the long haul. I've always been a little struck by this gospel story. Jesus chooses to live in the land near the sea of the Galilee of the Gentiles. Jesus chose to be with people who weren't just like him, and even more so, He chose to be and live among people who were ostracized and alienated by many. Then if that were not enough for one story, Jesus recruits uneducated, hard-working, middle-to-lower-middle-class fishermen. He invited them to come and follow and share God's good news to the whole world. But there they were, those hard-working fishermen confronted by the commanding presence of an itinerant preacher and precious few other facts to go on. Had they heard of him? 
Had they heard of his baptism in the river Jordan, and the dove from heaven, and the voice proclaiming him the beloved Son and Messiah? Maybe. Maybe not. We don't know. All we know is that Jesus came out of the wilderness a changed man. He had wrestled with the devil in his own vocation for 40 days, and he came out of there sure of who he was and what he was left to do. He came out of the wilderness and into the world ready to teach in the synagogues and proclaim the good news of the kingdom. He came out prepared and eager to cure diseases and sicknesses among the people. He came out ready to get to work. And he came out ready to pick some people to work with him. And so, he strode down the beach. He looked these people in the eye and said, You, 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 and you. Yes, you. Come with me. We have work to do. And they came. For us today, it matters not why these men chose to follow Jesus that day. It matters to us that they did, for it was through them and others like them that the gospel has come to us. The Greek word to follow literally means to come behind. So when Jesus says, follow me, he is literally saying, come behind me. The command of come behind me may be a way of saying, Make Jesus the most important thing in your life. Even one's own self comes in second behind Jesus. One seminary professor recalls this story. She says a student of mine was told by his supervising pastor while out knocking on doors during an evangelism campaign, Mike, you look like a man knocking on doors hoping and praying no one answers the door. That's how many of us act at times when Jesus calls us to be disciples and to cast our nets again and again for the catch Jesus calls us to attempt. The disciples did as Jesus suggested. While we say, please let no one be home, or, oh wow, I hope no one asks me about my faith. Sharing the message that Jesus did so long ago is our call today, as those who have been called to fish. We are called to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is near. We are called to proclaim that love will conquer evil. We are called to remind the world that God isn't through with us yet. We are called to remind all that the prodigal, lavish, expansive call of God is for all people even if they feel like the least likely of worthy suspects. What's important for us today is that Jesus has issued to us the same invitation, the same call, the same imperial demand to follow that he issued to them. And you know what? We deserve it as little as they did and understand it even less. The message is that God in Christ has chosen us, every last one of us, to be his disciples, his followers, his fishers of folk. And God has not chosen us because we are the smartest, or the prettiest, or the richest, or the most popular, 
or the most likely to succeed. No, God has chosen us because God is God and God is love and God has graciously loved us in spite of ourselves. And when that overwhelming reality suddenly becomes clear to us, all of us then have a moment of epiphany and revelation and realization and find ourselves in the midst of a great light that has pushed back all our darkness and all our night. And the only rational thing any of us can do at that moment is to lay aside whatever it was we were doing that we thought was so important and give it and ourselves over to God and the kingdom. And the strange thing is, when we do that, God turns us around and sends us right back out to do the same thing in the world that we were doing before. But now, we do it differently. We do it knowing that we do it not for ourselves, for our own pleasure or improvement or material gain. We do it for God. We do it knowing that we are in the world as ambassadors for Christ, as citizens of the kingdom of God. We do our work and live our lives knowing that the most important things we do are things that help others know that they too are chosen by God, loved by God, wanted by God. This is Fishy Faithful Business. So let's get fishing, church. Amen. Let us pray. God who calls, summon in us the faith to go out with good courage and follow you. In that following, may our lives summon others into your light and direct our steps into the way of your love. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. You've been listening to the Reverend Kevin Strickland, Bishop of the Southeastern Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America based in Atlanta, Georgia. For a free transcript of his sermon, Fishing in Unusual Places, Finding Faithful Fish, call us at 404-815-9110. That's 404-815-9110. Or write to us at Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Keep in mind that Day One depends on the financial offerings of our faithful listeners. Please send your gift to Day One, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. We're always grateful for your help. And remember to listen again to today's program, read the sermon transcript, search the sermon archives, and much more. Visit us online anytime at dayone.org. I'm Peter Wallace. Next week, we're honored to have with us Dr. Raj Nadella, the Samuel A. Cartledge Associate Professor of New Testament at Columbia Theological Seminary in Decatur, Georgia. His powerful sermon is called, When Comfort Alone Won't Cut It. Join us next time on Day One.
Now, our day one preacher, Kevin Strickland, offers some final reflections on his sermon today, Fishing in Unusual Places, Finding Faithful Fish. And Kevin, thank you for your motivating message. I loved your memories of fishing with your dad. My dad loved to fish too, and I remember he took us three boys out one time in a rowboat to fish, and one of us brothers, I won't say who, <laughs> caught dad's earlobe when casting. <laughs> but you realized as a kid that you weren't that crazy about fishing. It was rather about those rare moments of spending time with your dad. And you wondered maybe that's what attracted these motley fishers to follow this strange new teacher. It seems these days spare time to just be with Jesus is a rare commodity. How can we better build those times of meditation and prayer with the living Savior? Yeah, no, I love that uh, question. Uh, I think too often than not, um, we try to be overly programmatic. Mm-hmm. Um, we build ourselves in a marketing, advertising way as church of yeah. who's got the best program on the street. And yet COVID has taught me something that the basic, the ordinary, uh, the pattern of the the daily walk and discipleship of prayer and study and the gathering of community around communion it's those simple things that that's really all you need. Yeah, All the other stuff is just the stuff. <laughs> uh, and more often than not, it's the stuff that can sometimes get in the way. Done well, but still get in the way. So when I think back to my dad taking me fishing, I can't tell you much about that trip other than it reminded me of just how important that special mm-hmm. time was to mm-hmm. just sit. Yeah. And we didn't even say much because, well, I was told that it would scare the fish. <laughs> but it was just being in his presence. Right. And I relate that to being in just being in God's presence. Uh, in a world where you don't have to look far or hunt for noise, uh, just to be very, very still in the presence of God, because there the kingdom of heaven has come even nearer. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, again— this gospel text today it speaks to me in a different way than it did the last time that I mm-hmm. preached on it because it reminds me that uh, sometimes all you need is just to get back to the basics um, and that the church doesn't have to be razzle-dazzle. Mm. You said Jesus strode down the beach and looked these people in the eye and said, you, 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 and you, come follow me. We have work to do. I often wonder if I'd been there at that seaside that day, how I would have responded if Jesus asked me to follow him. What if someone listening right now has never really responded to Jesus's invitation? What would you say to them? Well, first I'd say I'd probably be the disciple who uh, would have said, not me, not me, not me. (laughs) Uh, But I would encourage anyone out there who's listening, for those who feel like they have much faith or none at all, those who have many questions or have all their questions figured out, Mm. that the God I know who shows up constantly and persistently in the person of Jesus is the God who meets you right where you are, uh, in your all-figured-outness and in your questioning, and will say to you, as has said to me almost every day of my life, yes, you, you, you. You come and you follow. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is sometimes Jesus walks in front Sometimes Jesus walks behind, but more often than not, when I've stumbled, Jesus carries me all the way to the finish line. And that's what it means to be the body of Christ in the church, that we do that for one another. Not always getting it right, but we welcome each person wholeheartedly and say, yes, you, you come and follow. 
Um, and if the church can share that message, that it's not about your credentials or if you have it all figured out, but join this merry band of followers, even in 2023, who are still trying to figure it out, the more the merrier <laughs> makes the body of Christ all the more beautiful. Yes. Kevin, what's one thing from your sermon today that you hope our listeners will carry with them in the days ahead? I would say that I hope that people carry away from today's message that the God who called those early disciples still can and does call disciples today. And they're not all people who are fishers, Mm -hmm. but they show up in all different shapes and sizes and vocations and understandings. And so be on the lookout for that next follower, because they may be that person who serves you coffee or the grocery clerk, Mm. or the one that's set by you in church all these years that you never thought much of. Mm. And more importantly, that could be just you. Bishop Kevin Strickland, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Peter. Day One is the voice of America's mainline Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on Day One and forever.